Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Raw Podcast. My name's James Copley, joined by Phil Smith. Phil, how are things, mate? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Not bad. How does one go about filling the void without Sunderland playing football matches when you are the Sunderland Echoes chief football writer? Um, I play and watch cricket mostly, which is my which is my first love. So, and we had our first win of the season on Saturday, so I'm still basking in the glow of that. And I'm catching up on a lot of reading that I've been books that have been piling up for the last few months. So, I quite like this phase. Um, I feel like I regenerate. And then I come back ready for uh, ready for preseason. But listen, I suspect it will be a busy summer, so I think it'll be sort of calm before the storm, really. Yeah, indeed, we've got a, a few things to talk about today um, on the agenda. So there was Sunderland's retained list, which was released. Not much to talk about there, but we'll quickly whiz through it. We're going to talk about the Speakman interview as well as well as the shareholding changes and Stuart Donald's exit from the club. So we'll start on the retained list, Phil. No real surprises. Um, it was telling that the biggest story was the exit of Jacob Carney, who's Sunderland's third-choice goalkeeper, um, which is probably an area Sunderland will have to have to probably take a look at. Yeah, I think um, I'm not entirely sure what they'll do with the goalkeeping department this summer, but I think it's probably significant that um, Adam Richardson signed a professional contract just a few weeks ago. So for those who don't know, um, Richardson's a, a very talented young goalkeeper who went on the tour of Portugal last summer with the team. He was also one of those players who had a huge amount of Premier League interest sort of three, four years ago when a lot of young players left the club. Um, and Richardson, like Neil, Dad Neil, was one who actually opted to stay in time professional contract. He signed a, a new deal recently. So my suspicion is that he'll now move into the phase of being sort of the Premier under-21s goalkeeper and also the, the third choice goalkeeper in terms of travelling to some of the games, working with the senior goalkeepers. So I think it makes sense, you know, Jacob Carney's a bit older, he's a bit further down the line, he's at a point where he needs to go and play senior football. So my suspicion is that Carney's um, departure kind of opens up that slot for Richardson to progress. Um, whether it's something that, you know, they, they, they look to recruit a further senior goalkeeper and change that position, I don't know, but I suspect that's what that's about. And Yeah, I think like you say, it, it, it wasn't a huge talking point and I guess the significance of that is it it underlines just the way something's changing. And the fact that they're back to being kind of a properly run football club, um, retained lists shouldn't really be mm. huge news for top tier clubs. Yeah. Um, the retained list became a big deal in League One because we were living in a much shorter term realm and there were a lot more shorter term contracts being handed out. Um, and it became a significant thing that really, I think everybody I know just it probably shouldn't be, to be honest, because if you run properly, you shouldn't have too many contracts expire and you should have a squad full of young players with pen plenty of um, long-term promise and you should be sort of managing their contracts proactively so that then you don't have many running down at once. Um, so I think we can take some encouragement from the fact really that the retained list now is not as um, anywhere near as significant um, as it's felt in the last few years where it's become this huge sort of clue as to what's coming next and has sort of kick-started a huge amount of turnover. I think there'll be a lot less turnover at Sunderland this summer and that's a good thing. Yes, definitely. Very different days to the retained list that were released in, in League One. Very different feel about the club now, Phil. We'll move on to the Christian Speakman interview, which came out uh, last week. Uh, a lot of takeaways, lots to mull over. I thought it was a, a great interview. I thought he, he spoke really well. Tony Mowbray, though, mentioned just the once, um, should say that the club don't have to respond to, to every rumour going, otherwise they'd probably never get anything done. But I just thought that it was perhaps an opportunity missed to, to quash the story altogether. Am I reading possibly too much into that or not? 
I thought um, I thought it was odd that it wasn't addressed more directly. To be mm, honest, like you say, I can understand the club not wanting to respond to sort of constant speculation. And like you say, we wouldn't really get very far, and it wouldn't be particularly productive if the club <laughs> did do that. I thought that the first thing to say is that you know that that Speakman was pretty fulsome in his praise for Tony Mowbray. He acknowledged the way that Mowbray's handled the sort of ongoing injury issues and the way he's created that culture of you know we'll just find a way, we'll we'll do it our way kind of thing. Um, so we're certainly not trying to sort of create a storm. He did very much praise Mowbray. But I thought it was very interesting that, yeah, as you say, he, he most definitely did not directly um, or even particularly indirectly really address the speculation that there's been in recent times. And we're at a slightly strange phase now. We're a few weeks out from the season. I suppose there's no reason to think that Mowbray won't be in charge in terms of we know that he was involved in some of the sort of planner meetings after the playoff semi-final. Um, we know he's under contract for another year. We know he wants to stay. Um, so I suppose some people will look at it and go, well, what's the story here? And, you know, head coach continues in his work and no reason to think otherwise. But I think you have to say it's been highly unusual um, that there hasn't been any directly or indirectly attempt to just sort of say there actually isn't anything to this whatsoever. Um, and so I just think that little bit of uncertainty sort of still lingers a little bit. I think it's fair to say that. I don't think that's been dramatic or trying to create a story, no. you know, us as journalists given Mowbray's mood after that Luton game. And of course, that will partly be informed by the disappointment of the result. But it was very clear that that what had happened in the previous weeks had, had, had nibbled away at him a little bit, I think. Um, you know, and I just I just hope it hasn't left, you know, if Mowbray is to continue, then I hope there's no sense of lingering um, discord, if you like. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I thought I thought speaking to it really well. I think going back to what we were saying about the retain list, I think you can, I think fans now have this really clear sense now of, of how the club operates. I think there's a sort of a trust there. Um, I really don't want to say trust the process because it's become the most like meaningless phrase in football. But you know what I mean? I think I think Speakman's got well and I think there is this kind of there is this nice sort of I think supporters and club are kind of in sync in terms of now everyone mm. understands what the process is. They can see the results. They can see that there's that long term thinking. Um but yeah it's been a really unusual episode this this Mowbray one. It's one that Personally, I don't still don't feel as entirely resolved, which it, it is un, highly unusual. No, I don't think it's entirely resolved either. I thought that the Mowbray question would probably be the question that that you would ask if, say, me and you are conducting the interview. Obviously, that's different because it's it's within club channels. But you mentioned the uncertainty, and that it just creates an atmosphere in which fans are looking for key indication. I mean. I'm sure we do it ourselves, but I speak to people and they're like, well, Mowbray must be staying because the club released the video of him at Sunderland Story at the Sunderland Empire and you're sort of thinking about that. And then there was a little a little footnote in in one of the articles that, that Sunderland published on the website saying Tony Mowbray is Sunderland, so people are looking at that. It is worth noting that Sky said that he was set to stay, but then conflicting reports have come out. So it just feels like a, a situation that perhaps could have, could have been avoided. Phil, I thought the other takeaway or one of the other main takeaways from Christian Speakman's interview, which was hugely pleasing, actually, I think for Sunderland fans, was the statements of ambition. I, I thought he was very clear in where he sees Sunderland going. Yeah, I think that's been something that we've had, maybe part of the reason why, not just the positivity from the performances and stuff, I think fans have been given a little bit more of a look behind the curtain in terms of that ambition. Mm. We wrote the time the accounts came out, Um we wrote a few pieces around it because it was really interesting, but that statement in the club's accounts, you know, that they said, 
our goal is to try and get back to the Premier League within five years of, of Kirill mm. taking charge. And I think that, you know, it's not saying we will do it and it'll be a disaster if we don't because so many things can happen in football. But I think it was good for fans to get that sort of real strong sense of this is our ambition and it's not like a huge time period. So I think that was helpful to say like, okay, you know, the, the club is pretty eager about getting to the Premier League fairly soon. Um, and like you say, I think I think speaking, speaking in that way just underlines that, you know, yes, it's going to be, we know some of them are going to go out and chuck loads of money at it this summer in terms of fees. We know that they're not going to suddenly start spending a huge amount on wages. It's going to be pretty methodical and it's going to be pretty careful. But I just think, yeah, there has been a slight shift in tone, um, whether that's slightly related to the ownership changes as well, um, which mm, we'll go on mm. to in a little bit. I suspect it probably is. But I do think now we've found, we seem at the moment to have found a bit more of a happy medium between being really sort of careful um, and also saying, no, look, we are we are ambitious. There's no sort of, we are trying to take this club to the Premier League. Um, but of course, you know, I think you also have to be really mindful of the other variables as well. Um, and when you look at that championship lineup for next year, I mean, wow, it's... It's, it's a big club. It's, it could it be the most open championship field ever. I mean, yeah. But even then, I say that, it could be the most closed championship field ever because if Leeds, Leicester and Southampton yeah, get the starting point of the starting point of the talent they have in their squad with the parachute payment funds. No, I accept that with all three clubs there's a huge amount of uncertainty. Maybe all three of them won't get their acts together. But if two do, they could easily do what Burnley and Sheffield United have done this year because the the starting advantage they will have will be absolutely vast. And that's before we even get into Middlesbrough, Ipswich coming up, who everybody knows Ipswich mm. are spending a huge amount of money and also have some good players and a very talented coach. Norwich can't be as bad. Watford, surely they can't be as bad as last year. So already you're starting to go, wow. Um, you know, so we shouldn't live we shouldn't sort of labour under the that Sunderland's starting point is they'll finish sixth again. Hopefully they can actually do better. Huge fight to get back into sixth. That's not very negative. It's just been realistic, I think, about the fact mm. that the division was considerably weaker this season. I think it will be next time around. So I think it's just striking that balance between Having that ambition, yes, Sunderland should be competing at the top of this division. Sunderland should always be competing at the top end of the championship. Um, but also that you know there are plenty of other teams who have good reason to think that way as well. So, but I think generally there's a feeling of optimism. I think isn't there an excitement for next season? And I think that's that tells you that the club's in a pretty good place as we sit here right now. Yeah. Again, Christian Speakman underlining Sunderland's commitment and Sunderland's regime, the, the ownership regime, commitment to the academy as well, investment in the pitches, sports science. He talked about improving the processes. Um, that's all stuff that that fans want to hear because we're we're seeing the academy bearing fruit really over the over the past three years. It's it's a, a serious serious asset for Sunderland, given that the the foundations that were already there in terms of you know the academy being one of the the best in England when it was built. It's produced numerous internationals over the years. So it's good to see that finally being utilised, hopefully, to its full potential because it's an area in which Sunderland have always rated highly in but perhaps haven't used to their advantage properly. I'm, I'm thinking specifically of the of the Premier League days where you know yeah. the onus was the onus was on signing players to, to get Sunderland out of out of the mire rather than producing their own. Yeah, and I think the reality is we won't really see the fruits of that labour for quite a long time. That's you know that's the way these things work. Mm. Um, you know when when this regime took charge, they were in a situation where really the best of the academy talent, by and large, left the club. Um, yeah. And obviously, I'm we've seen the players who hadn't sort of Dan Neil and 
and Anthony Patterson are the ones who've brought him through now. But what that really left was a huge void in terms of the quality at the upper age of the academy. Hmm. So it's not really fair to judge this regime, for example, on, on where the club is now because none of their work has really gone into the players that we're seeing, other than obviously them giving the opportunity to Neil and Patterson, which plays that out to deserve huge credit for. But my point is, you know, Sunderland had an under-18s team that went very close to beating Man City to the title. Mm-hmm. And what we'll hopefully see is the things that have been put in place now and the changes in structure and the work that's gone in means that in two, three years' time, when they're ready to step up potentially, and think of players like Tom Watson, you know, hopefully Chris Rigg, if he just decides his futures at Sunderland, players like that, hopefully in two or three years' time, we'll be able to see that, really see the benefits of these changes because we'll see it in their in their progression. Um, but I think the one thing I will say is I know um, certainly off the pitch, there's a lot of stuff where fans have felt pretty alienated um, in terms of some of the experiences. I know there's been over a long period of time ticketed in the club shop, mm, things like yeah, that. One thing, and, and that's totally right and understandable that we discussed that, one thing I will say is that to me, I don't think there's been any other doubts about this regime's commitment to invest in, in the club's infrastructure um, sort of at the academy light and on the football side of things. Saw it pretty much from day one. The academy of light kind of changed pretty much overnight. There was a huge investment in in sort of staff in terms of whether that's sort of the data and analytics side. Um, I don't think there's ever been any doubt that they're willing to invest structurally on the football side. And I think, yeah, we'll see a continuation of that this summer. Indeed, uh, Christian Speakman did go in a specific detail on some players. He, he talked about the Edward Michu um, decision, and also Joe Gelhart as well, who he revealed was was carrying an injury towards his his latter days at Sunderland on loan from Leeds United, and and seemed to be full of praise for for Gelhart as well. Yeah, I mean, Mowbray did sort of reveal that ahead of the. I think it might have been one of the last games of the season when he mentioned that Gelhart. I think it was an ankle knock. Um, but I think all this, I think Sunderland fans are sort of in agreement with the there. I think there was an acceptance by the end of the season that Geldhart had been pretty unfortunate he hadn't been able to play the role he'd been brought in to play, but nobody could could doubt his work rate. It was outstanding, really. And what we also saw were flashes of some pretty serious ability. He was involved in some really good team moves. His goal at Huddersfield was kind of a brilliant individual goal. So I don't think there's any doubt about Geldhart's well, there's certainly no doubt about his work rate and his application. Um, I don't think there's really too much doubt about his ability. It's just finding the right role for him. I think ultimately that would probably be at Leeds United now because I would expect them to sort yeah. of, if you look at the strikers they've got and the squad they've got, it's probably now with the pitch where they feel they can recuse some funds by selling some of those players. And Gelhart and Sam Greenwood, I suspect, will be two players who they're looking at thinking they can easily step in um, to fill the void next season. So, yeah, I think Gelhart very much leaves Sunderland in credit. Um, even if it wasn't the loan spell that anyone probably would have wanted, I think that was mainly down to circumstances rather than the player himself. So, yeah, I think he'll go back to Leeds, unfortunately for Sunderland in terms of next season. I think he's going to be a pretty good player for them in their promotion push. Um, and I suspect that Sam Greenwood will be in there alongside him getting a lot of minutes. So that could be interesting to watch next season. Indeed, the other major news uh, coming out of Sunderland was that Stuart Donald has now gone completely. Uh, this seems to have been a a pretty rapid process, really. I'm thinking, how long ago was it really that he did that interview with BBC Radio Solent? Probably about two months ago, Phil, something like that? I, I have no idea off the top of my head, James. I suspect so, yeah. 
It, but it was recent. My, my, yeah, my it wide, was relatively my, recent, yeah. My, my wider point is that Stuart Donald appears to have lingered at Sunderland for quite a while, but his exit, mm. really, in the grand scheme of things, in, in the context of the timeline of his state, Sunderland has been relatively short and smooth. Yeah, I think so. It, it, that is the interesting thing about it, was that when he went down to... Um, was it 8%? Um, that obviously cleared the way from the return to Weasley. And the way, the way he spoke seemed to imply that he was pretty happy to to stay there um, for the foreseeable future. So I think our expectation was that we'd seen the last of the ownership changes for a while. Um, so it is interesting that, that it has accelerated again. Um, I, yeah, it's. I think to be fair, it's been a, it has been a very long process really that started with obviously the Kirill's arrival, really. He wanted mm. more shares in the club from day one. He couldn't get them at that time. So he took the deal whereby he didn't get the level of shares he wanted, but he did get the level of control he wanted written into the shareholders' agreement, which made him feel comfortable yeah. taking it on. Now, obviously, we talked a lot at the time, the decision that that was never really revealed to fans, which it should have been. Um, yeah. But I suppose that's you know that that's a, another chapter of history that's not worth going into now. But the point is, it's then been a, a slow process where Kirill really is um, continuously been trying to Im- lift his influence over the club. And also, I think he understood pretty early on that it was important for for everybody really that someone were able to move on from from Stuart Donald and Charlie Methven. Um, and I think really it's just been about sort of that ongoing process. I think what's encouraging for Sunderland is it doesn't really change much in terms of the day-to-day. You know, Kirill has clearly had control um, for quite a long time and and, and getting another 8-9% of shares doesn't really make a huge amount of difference to that. But I think it does fit into this growing ambition at the club, stepping up that level of investment. You know, as everyone's aware, when you have sort of shareholding, everybody has to invest proportionately. Um so yep. now, you know, there's there's no investment required from a Stuart Donald or a Charlie Methven. And I think you can just see slowly but surely the ceiling of the club has been lifted. Um, and I think that falls into this something building towards is what we're all hoping that something to build towards here is a season where we go. Sunderland should really go up this year because they're able to to have the budget, the players, the squad. And where we expect them to get promoted, and I think this is another building block in getting to that position, and um, because it just maybe removes some of the constraints that may once have been there. Um, and yeah, I think it's a. I think we can take encouragement from the fact that the plan seems fairly methodical, um, mm-hmm. and we're seeing those little building blocks one by one. And ultimately, you know, I don't think it's been unfair to say it's a nice moment for fans as well, because for a long, yeah. long, long time. The future was very uncertain under that previous ownership. Things got very acrimonious, which they should never have done. Um, and I think it's a nice moment for fans to look forward to a new future, if you like, um, with a lot of optimism. Obviously, you know, as we've discussed hundreds of times on this podcast, one story remains mm-hmm. um, a little bit of an enigma, and we certainly shouldn't rewrite history. He was part of that club at that time as well. Um, that can't be written out. Um, no. But, I think what, um, look, just just on Satori, Phil, what what is his what is his role? Because as you mentioned there, we shouldn't forget history, but we we probably shouldn't really go forward not continuing to question that as well in terms of what what he yeah. does, who he is, you know, all of that sort well, of I think, stuff. Yeah, I, I think we've talked about it on the podcast before, but I think what's probably slightly changed now 
from where we were when when it was Donald Methuen and Sartori was that Sartori was continuously put forward as sort of a reason why, yeah. you know, we shouldn't question the club's ambition or we shouldn't question whether the finance was there because it was almost well Juan's here, and we were kept <laughs> people kept getting told that you know Juan was going to become more and more involved, and then we were looking at it going, well, hang on, he's just announced that he's running for president. Hang on, he's just announced. Do you know what I mean? Vice and that president was the, of Monaco and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, so it, there was something was was completely out of kilter. I think obviously what's slightly different now is Juan's very much being put forward as sort of almost like the silent partner to Kirill, if you like. Um, and the noises from the club are that you know Juan very much supports Kirill's vision. He's there to offer some advice. Um, potentially, you know, he's he's someone who has contacts, obviously now in the French game in South America. But the perception of what Juan's been presented is completely different. He's gone from being the person who's going to make it happen one day, just wait until you see and he clicks his fingers and he's going to make the magic happen to, to someone who's there to sort of quietly support Kirill's strategic vision, if you like. Um, mm-hmm. And so I totally, I totally agree with you. And that's why I brought it up. Um, you know, we can't rewrite, you know, his role or lack of, or whatever the best way to describe it is. Um, but his, that role is very different now. Um, yeah, and I think we, you know, he's he's pretty aligned with what Kirill's trying to do, um, and I think that's you know that speaks to the to the changes, the gradual changes we've seen over the last year in terms of the shareholding. When Kirill Louis Dreyfus first came into the the club, and and then it was revealed that he didn't have a controlling stake in terms of Madrox still having a controlling stake, Methven, Donald, um, and Satori, and all of the the narrative that unfolded, the the main criticism of of KLD was. We don't know his intentions. Is he in? Is he out? Is he just a face for for this regime to still have influence at the club? I think the pleasing thing for Sunderland fans and for KLD is that that is completely put to bed now. There was there is no doubt over his intentions anymore, which is conducive to a healthy football club and a healthy fan base. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I, I think last summer was li- li- Kirill has technically had control since day one. It was just that he yeah, didn't yeah, have him. Yeah. A majority whilst, share, which yeah, was which was an issue, but I know what you mean. I think yeah, yeah. That, you always I, have that uncertainty, don't you? This the significant the significant moment really in my mind was was the departure of Charlie Methven last summer. I think that changed a lot for Sunderland and for Kirill Louis Dreyfus. I think that was a crucial moment in allowing the club to move forward and also the fans to start building something of a relationship of trust with with Kirill Louis Dreyfus. I think. Because let's not um, forget, he was so, Methvin was pictured in in directors' boxes because he was still a yeah, Sunderland director, and yeah. all of that uncertainty was just a nightmare, PR wise. And I think Stuart Donald, by and large, when when he sold a, a significant amount of his shares to Kirill, which as we now know wasn't over fifty percent, but was a controlling stake, you know, he said that he was going to watch from afar, and I think by and large, he pretty much made good on that promise. Mm. Whereas I think, as you say, when when you saw Charlie Methvin in directors' boxes and stuff. Um, that created a lot of doubt, a lot of uncertainty, um, and rightly so. So I think that was still, for me, the crucial moment. I think that was what allowed the club to start to draw a line under what had happened in the years before. And I think this season really has been a continuation of that. So those little pressure moments, like um, so, sort of the departure of Alex Neil and that being managed in the end pretty successfully in terms of finding Tony Mowbray quickly, learning from the mistakes of the, the departure of Lee Johnson and having a much cleaner process. Um, I think we could begin to see the the departure of, of, of Methven and Kirill sort of strengthening, not his control over the club, but I think we could start to see that things were beginning to come together in the right way, that it was becoming a club 
that had a much more linear structure that was a lot more unified um, and could be a lot more decisive. And I think we've seen that continue over the season. Obviously, there have been big bumps in the road, deadline day, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, it feels like it feels like there's a, a huge amount of stability in the ownership now. Um, and that trickles down. You know, we because we followed something for a long so. time, we totally understand that everything starts at the top and then trickles down. Um, and so I think that's a it's a really positive development, even if, like I say, I, I, I know for a lot of people that, well, for some people, they won't be too fussed about Satori. They'll be pretty comfortable with that. Some people will still be a little bit concerned about that, a little bit baffled, I think. Um, but I don't think there's any doubt that this is the most stable, I think, the club ownership's been for possibly 10 years, really, because we knew yeah. for a good few years before he actually left that Ella Short probably wanted to go. We were unsure about how long he would continue as sort of the huge financial commitment he made. So, yeah, I think it's the most stable the club's been for a long time. And I don't think it's any coincidence that we therefore have sort of the best team, really, that we've had for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Lastly, quite a big question, Phil, uh, this one. But how would you assess Stuart Donald's time and, and legacy at Sunderland? He's a, a polarising figure. Whenever I whenever I met him, which admittedly wasn't very often, I always thought he he seemed like a good bloke who got in completely over his head and without was out was out of his depth. But then as more details started to emerge about the way he acquired the club, and we could go through a litany of of disastrous moves that that followed. That I think Sunderland fans largely are, are very happy to to see the back of him. But it is it is a complex matter and. You know, I must say as well that there's two sides to every story. But for me, as a Sunderland fan and as somebody covering the club, um, I think, yeah, I won't look back on the on the ownership with too much fondness. Let's put it that way. Well, I think what we can say fairly is that the legacy was was not so good. Yeah, um, yeah you know, absolutely. And that's and and if we detach personality or mm. motivation from that, and just let's look at it in an incredibly clear-headed way, what did that ownership regime leave the club? Well, it left it pretty much debt-free, which was mainly because of Ellis Short. Um, but then, obviously, there was the the MSD loan, which you know Kirill Louis Dreyfus um, addressed when he came in. So that could have potentially been a significant issue for the club. Structurally, the club was not really much better than it had been when they taken it over as it dropped into League One. Um, in terms of the recruitment, the long-term structure. Um, the squad was not really in a better place than it was when they took it on. Mm. Um, some of the legacy issues in the Premier League era had been dealt with, but I'm not sure it had been replaced by a particularly proactive. And um, while it was while it was debt free, it was also parachute payment free as well, which was a massive issue for fans. Yeah, of course, and that was and that is part of it. When I say when we then get into personality or what have you, um, you know the communications, um, you know they weren't upfront with supporters about that. There was a lot of misdirection. Um, and that ultimately played a role in the acrimony that followed. So what you also had was a very sort of fractured club and a fractured fan base. So I think we can detach sort of personality and motivation from it. I'm inclined to agree with you. What I think Stuart Donald saw a business opportunity. And I genuinely felt he could enjoy the ride because I think he loved the idea of being, you know, he is a big football fan. I think he loved the idea of being the person who got Sunderland back on track. And I think he felt he could do that while spying you know, potentially a big business opportunity. Ultimately, um, when I think when the takeover with Mark Campbell fell through and Sunderland suddenly won, I think what that then what that then magnified 
was that there hadn't really been much thought in terms of long-term planning and how to make the club better for a longer period of time. And that then led to, I think, a spiral of bad decisions. Yeah. Um, you know, sacking, you know, everyone will have their opinions on Jack Ross, but he was a long way down the list of problems at that club. And that was eventually what we saw, you know, mm. in the things that followed after that. So probably, but, worth note, probably worth noting that Jack Ross as well was was preparing for life under two different ownerships at the time because he was aware of the Mark Campbell bird and whatnot. And that was probably a, a fairly difficult position for him to be in at the time as well. Yeah, and that, that, that's my point. Like, you know, there was, it trickles down, as we said, yeah. as we just said there, you know, and that was part of it. So No, no sporting director for Jack Ross at the time either yeah, or any of that stuff. All, and... all this stuff, all this stuff. No thought of necessarily, you know, that long-term planning that we've seen pleasingly be addressed. So, I, you know, I, I like I say, I, I agree with you. I, I think Stuart Donald's intentions were, yes, that he could have a big business opportunity for himself, but I also think he wanted to be the person who put Sunderland back. Um, but the decisions, ultimately, over a period of time, decisions that were made and their reaction to those decisions meant that, you know, the club was not in a good place, really. Um, and just because, you know, Kirill Louis-Dreyfus has come in and made major steps to address that, um, you know, it doesn't doesn't change that initial fact. So, I think we can ultimately say whatever people's opinions are on other people um, doesn't matter too much. It was not really a great legacy that was left. Um, no. And that's probably, a, I'm probably a bit of an understatement. So yeah. I think, yeah, I think, um, yeah, listen, I think, I, th- I think more supporters will be in, will be in that camp. I'm having flashbacks now, Phil, to when I, I first started working for the Sunderland Echo and I was working like 12 eights and Stuart Donald was very active on Twitter at the time. So I'd be in the office by myself late on a Monday evening and Stuart Donald would just be firing uh, tweets off left, right and centre and I would be struggling to keep up with the pace of it. It was definitely a unique brand in the early days of engaging with fans, wasn't it? It was a, yeah, it was, I mean, that that summer was, yeah, it was. And, and, And as well, you know, we're getting into, this could go on for hours, really. But um, <laughs> to to be fair, I mean the the intro that summer was absolutely horrendous. You know, I'm yeah, I'm, not, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. certainly not trying to rewrite there. When you look at some of the issues, Rodwell the squad, and the wage, some of the level of wages, the 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 position the club was in, um, you know, I I'm, I'm not suggesting there was an easy fix. That you know, if only it had been someone different, everything would have been. Um, everything would have been fine. It was an absolutely horrendous situation to walk into. Um, so yeah, that is, I guess, the other side of the coin. That is the necessary perspective, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think, like, like I say, um, the weren't the decision, the right decisions to put the club on a better footing in the longer term. I'm not convinced we're prioritising those early days, and everything that came after was a reaction to trying to then address that. Um, and for whatever reason, it it was always a sort of a short-term fix. It all felt, um, felt a bit cosmetic, for, for want of a better word, in the early days, with the seats and lots of little PR wins here and there, but without the the sort of, as you say, the long-term stuff. Yeah, I, listen, I, like I say, there was a, there was a, an insane amount of stuff to address when they first came into the club. And it, but, you know, I, I think from because of where we are now, if you could go back, you would say, actually, invest in the structures... Um, you know, don't just think about getting out of the division this year because in the end, you know, Sunderland were absolutely not the best team in that division. I know a lot of people say because of like, um, because of some of the players on the books that they had the best squad in that division and they should have gone out. I completely disagree. 
Um, Brian Oviedo didn't play regularly that year. Um, yeah, if you look you at know, where like, that team where that team has ended up now, probably suggests that it wasn't. And the if you compare if you compare it to the teams that did go out there, the Barnsley and Luton, you know, some mm. of those players who are now going into the Premier League, it wasn't the best squad. Um, and there was a reason for that. So, yeah, I think um, I think this is a this is a positive development for Sunderland. I think it allows us pretty much to 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 move on from an acrimonious um, period of history that I don't particularly want to relive, relive even though you've made me do it. Um, hey, I didn't make you do I, anything. You, you definitely did. Um, <laughs> but um, I think that ultimately, you know, I think this is another building block, I think, in what, as I said, the, the methodical the um, methodical way that Kualu Drift is trying to build the club step by step to be in a position where it can really compete for promotion for the Premier League and then potentially be ready to make a fist of it when it gets there. I think we can take some reassurance that that is happening. Um, and I think that's an, this is another step in that direction. Absolutely, yeah. Well, um, we won't dwell uh, too much longer on the Stuart Donald era because uh, it could go on for a while. It could be a whole separate series of podcasts, really, that era, Phil, couldn't it? A respective look back, that would, that would thrill you, I'm sure. Shall we pencil that in? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> some, sometime in... 2033. <laughs> right. Thank you very much once again for listening to the Raw podcast. Uh, the usual plea to head over to the Sunderland Echo website. There's lots of content on there. We'll keep you up to date with the transfer window, only a Mad Diallo chat. Phil will have some analysis on there coming today as well. And once again, thank you very much for listening.